what's good, yo? What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed show for you today. You better believe I'm going to give you my thoughts on the uh, Bengals' 35-30 loss to the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night. I'll touch on that. I'll touch on the Clippers' epic choke job that was them and their performance and that Western Conference uh, semifinals against the Denver Nuggets. I'll get to the Conference Finals uh, in our weekday episode next week when I recap Week Two. I'll get to the I'll get to the Heat and the Celtics and the Lakers and the, I'll get to that later on. But the main I got to get to the I got to get the Clippers off my chest. Touch on that, and hopefully we will have a good buddy we haven't heard from him in a long time. That is Brendan Dillon. Hopefully he will stop by later on in the program and we'll talk NFL with him. Get a little bit of a feel because he's off at college. I forget the name of the college, but he's at a Gettysburg, not Gettysburg, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So we'll get a feel of how uh, college life is during a pandemic from him. And he will do the week two picks. Last week it was my brother that did week one. He will do the week two picks with yours truly against the spread, and we'll get on to some other things. But first things first, (sighs) my Cincinnati Bengals. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, when you think they can't disappoint you or piss you off anymore, they don't. Let me begin with this. Our offensive line is terrible. I'm, I'm just I'm just gonna break down what's wrong. What was wrong with that performance? Offensive line stinks. Okay, it stinks. Bobby Hart. Why why Bobby Hart is still on the team? I will never understand. I mean, he. We want to talk about a waste of time and a garbage right tackle. Oh, he is he he is so mind-bogglingly bad. It's 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 unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable how 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 horrible Bobby Hart is. You want me to read you the stats, and I'll read you to him how much the offensive line for for us is just terrible. I mean, Burrow essentially was had the D, had the Browns' defensive pass rush breathing on his neck all night long. Cincinnati gave up three sacks in the game. Three sacks. I mean, you want to talk? It was terrible. 
I mean, they had Burrow on the ground. They were throwing Burrow like he was a... I mean, they were treating Burrow like, like he was a ragtag doll. Every single five seconds, Burrow would drop back the pass. He'd show a, the camera show a shot of him sitting on the ground. I mean, it 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 was so. Oh, and all I gotta say is y'all lucky that I didn't get up on here on Thursday night, cause Thursday night I would have had some choice words and I probably would have gone over the line or what. But it it, it 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 pissed me off to the highest degree. From what I saw on Thursday night, yeah, I know the score is thirty-five to three. That's touchdown scored at the yeah, that touchdown scored late. That 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 that's garbage time. That 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 doesn't count. That that that's that's garbage time numbers. Okay, the game was over when we stomped the Browns at their goal line on a fourth and goal, which is exactly exactly what we needed. They go all the way down the field, start of the third quarter. And that's the thing about our defense that I don't understand. Why our defense literally, and they did the same thing in the, in the Charger game last Sunday. Why in the world does our defense literally wait until the opponent's offense gets down inside essentially the 10 to 5 yard line for them to all of a sudden get their crap together and go oh shoot we got a football game to play we can't let them score. why why our defense literally waits until the last possible moment to like actually play defense I don't understand they let Cleveland march up and down the field on them all night and what happens and know And I said it at. And I said it watching it at halftime. I said if we want to win this game, when Cleveland gets the ball to start the second half, Cleveland cannot score. Cleveland doesn't score. We stop them. Fourth and goal, at the goal line. What happens? We get out. We get out the. We get out. We run a play. What? And then Burrow drops back the pass, blind sight, boom, gets hit, fumbles the football, momentum gone, game gone, Browns get the ball essentially right back where they were not even 10 minutes ago of game, not, not even 10 real-time minutes ago, and they go in and, 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 and they score a touchdown. I mean, you 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 want to talk about? I mean that that was so deflating, so deflating. I mean it it just it was like oh my goodness man you had it you had it, all you have to do is protect the quarterback. It ain't that difficult. It's not that complicated. The game of football is a simple game. Simple game. It does not take a Vince Lombardi, a Bill Belichick. It, it, no, it's a simple game. All you got to do is block and protect the quarterback. And our offensive line cannot do that. Cleveland, Miles Garrett, among other, among the rest of his contemporaries on, the, on his defensive line, they screamed and were in Burroughs' face all night long all night long 
ran his face. And I don't know about you, but Bobby Hart's got to go. I I, I I don't know. He is a complete he is a complete idiot and a complete moron and a complete distraction when it comes to handling of social media. And I tell you this, you you cannot be a distraction on social media. Get out on the field and play like hot garbage. I'm I'm sorry. Do you think Bill Belichick would tolerate that? And I know and I've been quiet and I've given Zach Taylor the benefit of the doubt since he's been the head coach. But I but I'm gonna be on him here like white on rice. He's he's gotta send a message and 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 tell Bobby Hart to go kick rocks. I mean seriously. He has to get the message from his fan base and what he sees on the field, practice and in the games and in the film room and realize that Bobby Hart at right tackle is not the answer. He is terrible. This man is a walking turnstile disguised as an offensive lineman in the National Football League. Our offensive line stinks. It stinks. You cannot under any circumstances expect to win games in the National Football League with a good and elite talent such as Joe Burrow and exp- and not and not protect them. You can't. I'm sorry. You can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. Our, our offense, it's terrible. I, I I don't know what Bobby Hart does. I mean, it's like he drops back. You know, when we go back to pass, he drops back and he and he and he and he does jazz hand, like like put get your hands and put them on the man you're supposed to be blocking. It's not that difficult. All you got to do is sit up there and block. It's not difficult. Instead of sitting up here dropping back. When bro drops back out the shotgun and basically do do a crab shuffle with the j- you're not helping us. You're not. And then if Zach Taylor, you gotta go reevaluate the offensive line. Especially right tackle where Bobby Hart Bobby Hart plays. Cause he is a liability. He's he's terrible. I'm sorry. He needs to go and needs to go now. Third and nine, midway through the third quarter, Bobby Hart. I know it wasn't his man he was supposed to be blocking, but my goodness, man, make an effort to at least throw him off his rhythm. Shove him, you know, shove him, put a shoulder into him. got to do something. I know it wasn't his man. He just, he just lets him walk right by him. Just lets him walk right by him, run right by him. What happens? Burrow gets sacked. Burrow fumbles, play player two later, Brown scored a touchdown, make it 28-13. Midway through the third quarter. And, and, and at that point in time, the game was over. You, you, you can't, you can't, you can't win football games when your quarterback is, is under pressure the entire game. You can't do it. And you also can't expect to win games when Joe Burrows has, has to throw the football 60-plus times. You can't you can't win games doing that either. 
No running game to speak of. Joe Mixon has done nothing in the two games since his new contract that he signed before the season started, which I don't like because the defense knows what you're doing when you're throwing the football 60 times. And I don't want to hear offensive The offensive line was garbage last year, and he rushed for over 1,000 yards, so I don't want to hear it. Okay, it wasn't. It's not like that. He had the hogs as his offensive lineman last year, and then all of a sudden he has he has the turnstiles this year, and all of a sudden he can't do nothing. No, 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 no. Mixon has to play better. No running game to speak of whatsoever. None. Joe Mixon, sixteen carries, forty-eight yards, average three yards a carry. That's not good enough. I'm sorry. And I understand his team isn't thinking, but that's not good enough. It isn't. It is not good enough. It's not good enough. When you're making a big money that he's now making with that contract, you got to step up and you got to produce, Mixon. I love you. you. You deserve the money. You're a phenomenal running back and a great football player. But you gotta you gotta give me more than sixteen carries, forty six yards, averaging three yards a carry, cause that cause that's not cutting it. I'm sorry, that's not gonna cut it. You can't you can't be so inept at running the football where we gotta have Burrow essentially have have me and Bengals fans all over America hold our breath and hit our knees that that Joe Burrow doesn't get hit a certain way and all, and all optimism is lost. When he has to drop back the pass 61 times in a game. So, I mean, it's it, it was terrible. It, it really, really was. Off, wide receivers, for whatever the reason, couldn't, ke- couldn't catch a cold. If they licked, if they licked a, a, uh, if they licked the toilet seat, they, they couldn't ke- they couldn't catch a freaking thing. AJ Green targeted 13 times and only three catches. You got to do a little bit. I I don't know if it was age. I don't know if it was rust. I don't know what it. I don't know if his head was in the game or whatever. But AJ Green, you got to give me more. You're healthy now. No excuses. You got to give me more than 13. When you when you're targeted 13 13 times and you either have 10, you know, and and you and you only have three receptions. You Burrow can't when you're when you are the guy. And you're the guy that's supposed to be walking, a walking Burrow through his NFL career and help get him comfortable and help get him started and and, and starting to build that trust between wide receiver and quarterback. When he throws it to you 13 times, you gotta catch him at least. You gotta catch at least at, at least eight of them, at least. You can't give me 13 targets for 13 targets, three catches, and 29 yards. That that ain't acceptable. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not. So a- AJ Green had a had a terrible night Thursday night. Got got to do better than that, AJ. Got to do better than that. CJ Uzama torn Achilles. That hurts. You know, starting starting tight end because Tyler Eifert's now down in Jacksonville, and and he tears his Achilles. It's just oh oh, it's just terrible, terrible. You know he he, it's it, it's terrible. And I knew as soon 
I said, oh, he, I said, he tore his Achilles. My sister watching the game thought he, thought he tore his ACL and it was an Achilles injury. But he's out for the rest of the season. He had four catches, 42 yards, and a touchdown in that in uh, Thursday's game. It's just, you know, the offensive line has got the offensive line. Period. Has has it's terrible. It's terrible. And this team. And I'll get to the defense, and, and I'll get to the, I'll get to the defense in a minute, which also was abysmal. The Bengals have to protect Burrow. It's not an option. It's not a choice. You gave Burrow weapons, granted, on offense. You extended Mixon. You drafted Higgins. Hopefully, AJ Green stays around for a couple more years. You gave him the weapons, and you drafted Burrow, which is good. But you can't. You, you, you got to do more than that. You, what good is Burrow having the weapons at wide receiver and running back if he only has about a second and a half to throw the football? Two seconds stops because because the defensive line is literally breathing down his neck every single snap. Burrow Burrow took a Burrow took an absolute beating on Thursday night, an absolute beating. Why? Because our because our offensive line is disgustingly atrocious. It stinks. It is terrible. And protecting Burrow is not an option. You must. If you want him to do what he promises to do and to take us out of the abyss that this franchise has been in for quite a long time, you have to protect Joe Burrow. It's not, it's not a choice. It's not yeah, but no. It is an absolute must, and it is a top priority. It is, it is a necessity. You can't win football games. You can't expect. Look, I mean, what do you what do you think the Eagles have learned with Carson Wentz? If you don't protect your quarterback, not only will you not win football games, but he will be will he, but he will be in. The, he will be on the injury report more times than you can shake a stick at. And the last thing that me and any Bengals fan wants is to have Joe Burrow on the injury report because he's getting pounded into the ground 50 times a game because his offensive lineman in front of him is the equivalent of human turnstiles that can't block a damn thing. So and getting an offensive line is a must. Taylor, the front office has has they have to look at offensive linemen in the draft, and they have to get offensive linemen in free agency. The draft of free agency. Offensively, we're all right. We're all right. What we need, offensively speaking, is an offensive lineman. We have a running back, decent wide receiver. We need offensive linemen. That's what that's that's our biggest flaw offensively is the offensive line because the offensive lineman is offensive line is trash. Bro's getting pounded into the turf. More more the higher chances of him getting an in, of him getting injured. He has to rush. He has to rush his passes, force his passes because he doesn't want to get hit. Therefore. He's going to make mistakes, throw boathead interceptions. He's going to fumble the football if his blind side, his back isn't protected. Getting an offensive line and protecting Burrow is a must. And that offensive line on Thursday night was absolutely positively abysmal. It was disgusting watching Joe Burrow get harassed like he was on Thursday night. 
It was embarrassing. And again, Zach Taylor, all right? How many times do you have to that that you have to go send out Bobby Hart to go at right tackle and 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 get get the same result and expect he's finished, okay? He's done, he's terrible, he stinks, he's a pathetic a waste of time garbage right tackle in the National Football League. He stinks. How many times are you going to keep on sending him out there expecting him to improve? Because it's only going to get worse. You, ha you, you, ha you haven't played Baltimore yet. You haven't played Pittsburgh yet. It's only going to get worse. So I suggest you nip it in the bud right now and address it right now while it's early. Then to wait too long and God forbid something happens to Burrow or you lose a game because of Bobby Hart's uh, incompetence at, at right tackle. Because he is pathetic. The human equivalent of a turnstile. He stinks. And with all the distractions that he makes on social media, if it was my football team, his ass would have been cut back in July and August. If it was my team. If he did this on if he did this with Belichick in New England, you think Belichick would stand for that? You think you think Vince Lombardi would stand for that? You think that Mike Brown's father, Paul Brown, would stand for that? Do you think Don Shula would stand for that? You think Bill Parcells would stand for that? Do you think Sam Weich, the late Sam Weich, would stand for that? Do you think Weeb Eubank would stand for that? Do you think Bud Grant would stand for that? He's a he's a headache and a pain in the ass already because he doesn't know how to use his social media accounts properly. Offending people left and right, doesn't know what to say out of his mouth. Doesn't know what the heck he's doing. And he gets out there on, on the field on Sunday or in this case Thursday night and sinks up the joint and embarrasses himself in front of America, please. Offensive line, yeah, it, it, it's not it's not a choice. You must protect Burrow or you will waste him or and you will ruin him like the Colts ruined Andrew Luck. If you do not prioritize and take the time to protect Joe Burrow, you will regret it and you will look like horses asses when Cincinnati will be in flames because Joe Burrow has an impromptu press conference in the middle of August or two weeks before the season starts and says you know what I ain't gonna risk my health for this to hell with this I'm retiring because the last thing you want is for Joe Burrow to, to do what Andrew Luck did to the Colts because you because you didn't take the time and prioritize protecting your valuable asset. When you have an asset, what do you when you have a valuable, your most important prize possession, your asset, what do you do? You protect it. If your most valuable asset is your house, then you make sure that you get all the security stuff you need to make sure that nothing happens to that house. If your most valuable asset is a car, 
you make sure that you keep track of the oil changes, you give it the right type of gas, you make sure that you got the right tires on it, that the tires stay inflated, that the tire pressure isn't off, you make sure that the rims look nice, make sure the inside of the car is clean, you take care of it, you protect it. Some people, the most valuable asset, you know, children, their children. Your children, you feed it, you bathe it, you watch over it, you clothe it, you keep it warm when it needs to be warm, you cool it off when it needs to be cooled off, you keep it hydrated, you keep it fed, okay? Joe Burrow is the Bengals' most valuable asset. You got to protect him like you would a million-dollar mansion house. You have to protect it because if you don't, not only will you regret it, but you will waste it at the drop of a hat. Second thing, and then take a break and we'll get to the Clippers. Our defense is pathetic. Our, our defense is so mind-bogglingly terrible, it's unbelievable. Can't tackle. I, I don't know how many broken tackles I sat up there and saw on Thursday night. The defense is absolutely pathetic. I, I don't know. What what the tackling technique? It's it, it it's atrocious and it and it has to stop and it must stop now. Be, because because this because this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. How many broken tackles? Can, can, how many broken tackles can Nick Chubb make? Lou Ananamrio, whatever his name is. He he he's he's got to go. I'm sorry. He he has got to go he's got to go because i don't know what lewis is doing but this the the this this is atrocious and this is not going to cut it all the I, I if i had a nickel for every single time i saw nick chubb or any other ball carrier of the cleveland browns break a tackle i would be swimming in money Broken tackles, missed tackles, guys going for the hit stick instead of doing the old-fashioned wrap them up and drive them into the ground. Come on, this is football, okay? A hit stick is not going to work. Hit stick works. Hit stick works, and it's needed when it's necessary. Odell catches catches a little five-yard slant route. It's not the time for you to hit stick him. You wrap him up, you drive him into the ground. Period. End of story. Their, their tackling techniques are piss poor. They can't tackle. They can't stop the run. Gave up way too many big plays to keep drives alive for the Browns, especially on third down. Especially on third down. Defense was was terrible, and again, I don't understand what's with these guys. But you can't sit up here and wait until the team gets to their gets to your one inch line for y'all to for y'all to wake up and smell the coffee and realize, oh crap, we gotta play defense, we gotta stop them. No, what? No, you stop them when it's third. When you stop them when it's third and eight, third and five, third and three, and and they're inside their own fifty yard line, inside their own thirty and twenty yard line. That's when you buckle down and you stop them. You don't let them carry out these long. These long, tedious drives get get, and then they get down to your own ten, own five yard line for y'all to buckle down and start playing some defense. 
The defense was atrocious in the game. Gave up 35 points. And here I am thinking after the Chargers game, wow, they actually improved. They may, no, it was the fact that the Chargers offense is terrible, and I, and we and we go up and we go up against a, a a team with real offensive weapons, and we and we wet the bed. We wet the bed. They let Kareem Hunt run for 86 yards, averaging eight yards a carry. Are you are you kidding me? And they let Nick Chubb on 22 carries rush for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Really? Giving up what? How many yards did it? How many yards of rushing it? Giving up 215 yards on the ground. That that is pathetic. Pathetic. I understand that Chubb and Kareem Hunter are two great talents at running back, but that's terrible. How many missed tackles can you have? Honestly, and when you wrap them up, don't let them ride you down the field like you're on, like you know like you're on a horseback ride. No, you wrap them up, you make first initial contact, and you drive their hard parts into the ground. It ain't that complicated. It's not rocket science. Come on, contact. Wrap them up, boom, tackle them, get them to the ground. If again, if I had a nickel for every missed tackle I saw on Thursday night, I would be swimming in money. Disgusting performance on defense. Terrible. Missed tackles left and right, going for the hit stick when they should be wrapping them up and tackling them. Couldn't stop the run worth anything. The defense was atrocious on Thursday night. Atrocious on Thursday night. Averaging seven and a half yards a play with the Cle- for Cleveland's offense, getting over four hundred and thirty total yards, and 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 they couldn't and they couldn't get the Baker midfield not one time. Y'all y'all got some work to do before before you face Philly. And again, if y'all don't if y- y'all look protecting Joe Burrow ain't an option. If you want Joe Burrow to last for uh, for him to win his championships, you have to protect him. It is a must. Because if you don't, you will ruin him like the Colts ruined Andrew Luck. And you and 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 that is gospel truth. That is the bona fide, clear cut, keeping it one hundred truth. But y'all got some work to do before you face Philly next Sunday because that performance on Thursday night, it it, it, it the every single one of those players within that locker room should be irate with themselves, irate. From the offensive line to the defense that was atrocious to Mixon that couldn't run anything, couldn't run the football, to AJ Green that had nine thousand drops in the game. The only person that actually was on the field and was ready for prime time was Joe Burrow. Back after this. These boys are my sons like Phoenix. My city and state never ever seen this. Jimmy Neutron, I'm a young boy genius. I'm a futon, I'ma give it that pain. When it's done, I'ma fill up arenas. Ooh, like Gilbert Arenas. Shoot my shot, I'm still with the demons. Ooh, I keep it thorough. I got five chicks in New York, that means one in each borough. I'm in the pocket like Burrow. When I'm back home, though, they treat me like Robert De Niro. Took her to talk about butter and churl. Took her home, gave her a cinnamon swirl. I left it in Welcome back. 
to the Amatelic TIS podcast, switching gears now to the National Basketball Association. And like I said in the monologue, I'll get to I'll get to uh the Western Conference Finals, the Eastern I'll get to the to the gist of what's happening right now in the NBA playoffs on two I Tuesday or Wednesday, next week's show. You know, look middle of middle of next week, I'll have a program out there for you. But uh and I'll and I'll touch on of course I'll touch on the Celtics and Heat series in the in the um, Lakers and and uh, Nuggets series next week. But the, the the primary and the big story of the week that was in the NBA was the colossal choke job, choke job created or not created but done by the Los Angeles Clippers. This, I mean, you want to talk about that? This was pathetic. I mean, you are, you are, Kyrie Leonard, and Paul George, and you can't get and you and combined, combined. You you can only get to the free throw line, once. Between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Who played the two most minute to the two most amount of minutes on that on their starting lineup, and combined you get to the free throw line one time, and as a team you get to the free throw line sixteen times. You shoot twenty five percent from three. Kawhi Leonard shoots two of seven, and Paul George shoots two of eleven. Are you kidding me? In a in a game seven, after you choked away games five and six, game five last Friday, game six last Sunday night, or last Sunday afternoon, are you kidding me? Having double digit leads in both of those games, and you are sitting up here. As the one-two punch in L.A. with the L.A. Clippers predicted, as if they, you know, like they're such a clear forecut favorite to knock off the 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 Los Angeles Lakers. You are the Los Angeles Clippers, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George making more money than you can shake a stick at, and the best. You two can give me points wise combined is a whopping 24 points in a game seven. Are you kidding me? A combined 24 points in a game seven. Kawhi Leonard had 14, Paul George had 10. And combined, they got to the free throw line one time. And the one person that did make it to the one time was Paul George, and he missed it. And as a team, you got to the free throw line 16 times. And as a team, you shot 25% from three. Kawhi Leonard, 2 of 7. Paul George, 2 of 11. Marcus Morris, senior, one of six. Marcus Morris plays 28, 26 minutes, puts up seven points. Patrick Beverly has one more point than Paul George with 11. And Paul, pan, excuse me, Pandemic P only puts up 10 points. 
And Kawhi Leonard puts up 14 in a Game 7 of a Western Conference semifinals. Are you kidding me? After Paul George was in his feelings like Kiki because people were making fun of him because he gave himself that asinine nickname, Playoff P, and for the most part of this postseason, he's done nothing but urinate all over himself. Sits up here, sits up here with that pathetic, you know, show, ice pack on his shoulder, like he's done something, and gets in his feelings when people troll him on social media, and all of a sudden he gets in his feelings like Kiki, like like a like a little kid, and all of a sudden he, he can't take it when he's pu- when he's putting out that garbage performance he just he just produced in a game seven of an NBA playoff series. Are you kidding me? Put up 10 points in a game four win. Play decent in games five and six, but in a game seven, you put up 10 points. Are you kidding me? And turned over the ball five times? Excuse the blur in the background. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But yet he has some nerve getting on social media, crying like a baby because he's getting trolled because he gave himself that dopey playoff P nickname. And people are like, this pandemic P, in this playoffs, he's been terrible. Game two against Dallas, 14 points. Game three against Dallas, 11 points. Game four against Dallas, nine points. This is in the first round. I mean, are you kidding me? Puts up a mediocre 19 in game one against Denver. Puts up 10 points in game four. And then in a game seven, commits five turnovers, shoots two of 11 from three, a whopping 18%, gets to the free throw line one time, and puts up 10 points. I mean, you have got to be kidding me. From a team that was projected by many a people to go and and be a championship favorite along with their along with the tenant in the Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers. Are you kidding me? With the with the leads that they choked in games five and six. Were up sixteen points in game six. And choked and lost 111 to 105. I mean, are you are you are you are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And it gets worse. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know? Did you know that in the fourth quarter of that game seven? Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined shot 0 from 11 from the field and 0 of 7 from 3. I mean, I got guys taking shots and hitting the side of the backboard there when they're taking wide open three-point shots. 
get not even, they couldn't even muster 20 points in the third and fourth quarter of that game seven. You want to talk about an epic collapse. And I understand that Kawhi Leonard is is, is an, going to be an all-time great and that he essentially single-handedly won Toronto their championship last year. But this is a disgrace. You essentially make the Clippers sell, sell off valuable draft picks, which they're going to need and they're going to regret trading if y'all don't win a championship. For 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 pandemic P, are you are you are you crazy? Sold off and traded off valuable assets that they're going to need if they want to be competitive past 2021, 2022, and beyond. For a man in a game seven of a playoff game, shot. Two from 11 from three and scored 10 points. You cannot make this up. The Los Angeles Clippers should be ashamed of themselves. Honest, they should be ashamed of themselves. They, every single, should be ashamed of themselves. For choking and collapsing like they did in this game, like they did in game five through seven against Denver. They should be ashamed. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. They, 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 ought, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. You, that, 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 that's, that, that is straight up disgraceful. Disgraceful. And I got Paul George throwing fits on social media and to the media because people are making fun of him, him of his stupid nickname, Playoff P, and he goes out in a Game 7 of a Western Conference Finals and gives me 10 points? But, but yeah, we ain't supposed to say anything, though. We ain't supposed to say anything. We ain't supposed to make funny. We ain't supposed to laugh at your expense, troll you. But we're not supposed to do that. But you go out there on the basketball court in a game seven and give me 10 points. In game four, you give me 10 points. In game four against Dallas, you give me nine points. In game three against Dallas, you give me 11 points. In game two against Dallas, you give me 14 points. In game six against Dallas, you give me 15 points. I mean, really? Barely averaging 20 points in that in that Western Conference Finals against Denver. And average... 18 points in the first round series against Dallas. Well, I mean, what 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 an absolute disgrace by the by the Los Angeles Clippers. And I'll tell you something right now. I do not ever, ever, when when this is all over, if I ever go to LA, whether it's go out on a date with the gorgeous Liv Cowherd, but whatever. Go out and 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 have lunch with Mike and the OC. Whenever I make my way out to Los Angeles, I do not ever, not one time, want to hear a word about the Los Angeles Clippers being as big and being as good and and essentially being in the same zip code as the Los Angeles Lakers. I do not ever, 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 ever want to hear that. Never again. 
whether it's through the media or in person, if I ever make my way out to Los Angeles. I do not ever in a million years, I do not want to hear it. I do not want to hear it. I do not want to hear it. Not after this disgusting, abysmal, historic collapse of epic proportions that the Los Angeles Clippers franchise just performed this past week. I do not, I do not ever want to hear not a peep, not a word about the Clippers being a big deal in Los Angeles. Not one word. Not one How many bricks can you throw up in a single fourth quarter of a game seven, no less? That that that's a that's catastrophic. That's a catastrophic form of collapse. Catastrophic. Not not one word. I'm telling you right now. I better not hear not a peep from anyone. Not Marcellus Wiley. Not any person on television or in the media that Skip Bayless. Not any person on TV that sits up here and, and, and rocks the L.A. Clippers. Not one word. Not after that performance. And your entire franchise's history. You have not even made it to a Western Conference final. And here we were thinking, Lakers, Lakers, Clippers, Lakers, Clippers, Lakers, Clippers. And the Clippers can't even get to the Western Conference Finals and face the Lakers. They can't even get there. Because Paul George and company decided, you know what, Game 7, let's chuck up a million shots. You know, shoot up, put up more bricks as if we're building a brick house down in Orlando. Shoot up more bricks. We'll shoot a wide open three and brick it right off the side of the backboard. We'll turn over the basketball ninety million times. We'll let uh, we'll let Jokic and, uh, and and Jamal Murray look like the second coming of uh, of of, uh, of of Pippen and Jordan. And we'll sit up and we'll fall around in Orlando. We'll lose in seven games and we'll take our hind parts on back to. Uh, Rodale Drive in Los Angeles. Not a word. A collapse of epic proportions. Kawhi, Paul George, Doc Rivers, all of you. For y'all to choke a 3-1 lead like this, when you were supposed to be a team, favorites win a championship, essentially throwing out your future for the now, and you go ahead and you pull this crap, y'all would be ashamed of yourselves. Doc Rivers... Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, all of you should be embarrassed. Every single one of you. That was a disgrace. Back after this.
Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. So, um, right quick here, I get just get this on out the way. Um, Brendan, as Brendan won't be joining us. We had a we had a couple of we had a scheduling conflict with Brendan. So he won't be on this week's show. He will be on next Saturday's show. So we'll get Brendan on next Saturday to talk uh, NFL football. My apologies for that. So we will get Brendan on. So if Brendan is one of your favorite guests of this uh, program, you're going to have to wait a uh, you're going to have to wait another week in order to uh, hear me and him uh, converse over everything that's going on in the National Football League. But don't worry. Because coming up uh, in about a couple minutes will be my week two picks for for the week two in the National Football League. Just a couple of games that's on the top of my mind that I want to go on out the way. Um, Tampa has to bounce back. Home opener with Brady and Gronk. Tampa has to bounce back against Carolina on Sunday. Uh, you know, you hear Arians talking, uh, quote unquote, through Brady under the bus and you know, so, and it's not all peaches and cream down in Tampa, so, they have to, they have to win this week, if Tampa, if Brady and Tampa start out 0-2 and lose this game to the Carolina Panthers, whose defense is atrocious and have one player of note on that team, that's Chris McCaffrey, yes, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is a competent quarterback, but if they lose this week, you are in, in you can kiss uh, hosting a Super Bowl if you're Tampa, uh, goodbye, if you lose, if you lose to uh, the Carolina Panthers and you're a nine and a half point favorite. Um, another game I want to get on out the way um, is is um, is is uh, is the Giants. Giants going on the road. They I know the Bears are favorite minus five and a half. Giants got to got to win to beat Chicago. Simply put, you know Chicago has owned Detroit the last couple of years. So you know don't go. Uh, uh, don't go crazy about because of the, because of the Bears beat the Lions last Sunday. So I mean, they got they got to beat they got to beat the Bears, the Giants, dude. They they're the Bears the favorite minus five and a half. The Bears got to beat the Giants uh, on Sunday. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, Baltimore's favored by by a touchdown against Houston. Houston's not going to win. It's not going to. That's not going to be a very competitive football game. Uh, Baltimore should start out the two and zero there. Uh, Kansas City a minus eight and a half favorite against the Chargers. They'll win big on Sunday. Uh, New Orleans versus the Raiders. That should be a uh, an an all right football game. You know, Raiders versus Saints Monday Night Football. I wouldn't have picked it, but I mean. You know, I would have, me personally, I would have picked, um, the Monday night game I would have picked would have been, if I was in charge of the scheduling, I would have put, um, I'd have put, um, I would have put, uh, well, I mean, either Baltimore or Houston or Kansas City and the Chargers. So maybe it's not that much of a bad idea. Maybe it's not that bad of a game going off of the games in week two that you'd have to work with, with putting on Monday night. That game is uh, going to be the Raiders' home opener in Las Vegas at their new stadium on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, and that game also is going to have significance because that game will be the 50th, the 50th anniversary game 
of Monday Night Football, September 21st, September 21st, 1970, was uh, the exact date that the first Monday Night Football game was ever played um, between the between the uh, Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets uh, on 19, at September 21st, 1970 on ABC. So exactly, even though they had their 50th anniversary season last year, it's the 50th anniversary like to the year of the first Monday Night Football broadcast. And for the first time since... Um, for the first time since 2005, you'll have a Monday Night Football game on ABC. That game will be simulcast on ABC. And look to see, and ESPN's done that in the past with the NFL games. They've put wild, they've put their wild card playoff games on ABC. Of course, they've put the uh, the Pro Bowl on ABC. But let me see the last figure out when was the last NFL. Not the last NFL, but when the last Monday Night Football game was on ABC. Uh, I know their last broadcast, probably like a couple of, prior to like a couple of years ago, was um was Super Bowl Forty. Let me see, it'd be Week Sixteen, two thousand and five, and that game would have been. That would have been, let's see, let's see, let's see, because be the last ever Monday Night Football game on ES on ABC until uh, Monday night for Rams, excuse me, for Raiders and Saints. So the last Monday Night Football game that is that aired on ABC was the day after Christmas, Monday, December twenty sixth. The Patriots beat the the Patriots who went ten and six that year beat the Jets who were awful, thirty one to twenty one. So that was the last Monday Night Football game on ABC prior to this upcoming Monday when you'll have the Saints and the uh, and the Raiders. So and, and ESPN's trying to get into is using ABC because back then ESPN and ABC Sports were separate entities. You know when you watch games, you know NBA playoffs, whatever. You know, it's the game is produced by ESPN and it's using ESPN talent and employers. But because ESPN and ABC are owned under underneath that Walt Disney umbrella, uh, you know, they, they put the, their, their local, their quote unquote network station for ESPN is ABC. So ABC doesn't have like a separate sports a production entity like they used to. It's just ESPN that sticks the games on ABC because they're owned by the same company in Walt Disney. So, you know, CBS, CBS, ESPN, and ABC is not like that. There's no such thing as ABC Sports anymore. It's ESPN on ABC. So, and ESPN is using, has been using ABC the last couple of years with their football to kind of test themselves and test the waters of how big of an audience they'll get on ABC because they're looking to get back. ABC's looking to get back in ABC slash ESPN's looking to get back into the Super Bowl rotation. Remember it used to be uh, 15 years ago. It used to be ABC, CBS and Fox. And then before that it was ABC, it was ABC, NBC and Fox. And then before that it was, ABC, NBC, and CBS that was in the rotation 
the three the three ring rotation for the Super Bowl, and then when Monday Night Football went to ESPN, ABC stopped doing Super Bowls after Super Bowl Forty when they did uh, Seahawks and Steelers, and then of course it's been CBS, Fox, and NBC, and use and they're using you know putting putting these Monday Night games, Monday Night being a perfect example, putting these games on uh, ABC simulcast. So they can like test the waters with the football audience so they can try to, you know, do what they did, do what they do with Thursday Night Football and like split the schedule in half, put a majority of games on ABC, all of the games on NFL Network to put like 70% of their Monday Night games on uh, ABC and things like that. But um, so they're trying to get back into the rotation. So if and if they do, it'd be the four networks. It'd be CBS, Fox, NBC, and of course you put ABC slash ESPN into that rotation as two using their uh, Monday night uh, talent that you see every Monday night. Um, but the rant, but the uh, and the Saints who won't have Michael Thomas in that game. He was he's been ruled out uh, with an ankle injury. Even though the Saints are six and a half favorite, I wonder if that's uh, changed. I can go. Let me see if I can go ahead and check. Uh, Saints versus um, Saints versus Raiders. See if the uh, if the line has changed because the Saints were last favorite at six and a half. I wonder if it's changed since uh, since Michael Thomas was ruled out. But the Saints. That I think the Saints are going to win that football game. You know the Raiders. They had a good. They had a fantastic day at the office last week. Um, against the against the um, against the Panthers home opener new stadium granted no fans but uh, the Saints the Saints uh, they they should get it done Drew Brees and the Saints play uh, always play well at least in the last couple of years they've played well uh, I can't see if the line, I don't think the line has changed from what I'm getting but but uh, but the Saints have always played well on Monday Night Football, and I expect them uh, to play well against the Raiders on Monday night. Saints, or excuse me, Seahawks and Patriots. It's a Sunday night game. Seahawks favorite minus four. Patriots had an impressive, now a little too close for comfort because it was the Miami Dolphins, and you can tell that they've that they need that offensive firepower and they need that offensive talent. But the Seahawks played well. Russell Wilson threw for four touchdowns against that disgusting putrid. Uh, Atlanta Falcons defense last week, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how the Seattle Seahawks adjust to the fact that, you know, there's not going to be 65, 70,000 plus uh, fans screaming and screeching and yelling and hooting and hollering at the top of their lungs at a CenturyLink field, you know, with the 12th man, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, and I told my brother this too, and he's kind of nonchalant. I said, Ian, you don't realize that the Seattle Seahawks, their fan base, I mean, there's a there's not a lot of fan base, there's not a lot of teams where their fans are commonly referred to as like the 12th man. You know, it's it's the 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 two fran the two teams off the top of my head with the twelfth man. It's Texas A and M with the football, but there it's Texas A and M football, and it's the Seattle Seahawks. That's just the top two that's off the top of my head. And there's not that many teams that can say that they have the like one of the best home field advantages as far as crowd noise and all of American sports. I mean. You got the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, three in football: the Seattle Seahawks, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the New Orleans Saints, and then 
And then you can and then you can jump off in soccer and basketball and everything else. But the Seahawks have one of the best home field advantages as far as crowd noise is concerned, in all uh, in all of in all of American sports. And it be and it will be very interesting to see how the effect of no crowd noise. Remember, the Seahawks didn't play any preseason games, so it wasn't like they got like a trial run with no fans in the stands. There, you know, they opened up the season on the road at uh, at Atlanta last uh, last week. So it'll be very interesting to see how no fans at CenturyLink will affect uh will affect the Seattle Seahawks and will affect their play. You know, obviously the crowd noise plays a part in false starts and neutral zone infractions and players not being able to hear and catch signals and this, that and the other and with no with no crowd you know, they're gonna they piping in crowd noise and my brother's like, Well you, they're still gonna pipe in crowd noise. I'm like, Ian, the standard they're not they're not allowed to get any louder than like seventy decibels. And when you go to Seattle, it's a lot louder than seventy decibels. It's always getting over a hundred hundred plus decibels as far as crowd noise is concerned with the Seattle Seahawks. So and and I I'm t- I already warned my brother who's a Seahawks fan. I already told him I said don't be surprised if the game isn't what you think it is because of the lack of crowd noise and it proves be- and it shows because Seattle is only a four point uh, favorite over the Patriots. I would imagine that under normal circumstances they'd be favored uh, by a touchdown with you know plus three point with uh, with the crowd noise but there's no crowd noise because there's no fans and it'll be interesting to see you know how the Seahawks will uh, will adjust that you know when I mean, Cam Newton played in Seattle in the 20 I think it was the 2015 uh, no 2014 divisional round when they went to the Super Bowl the second time let me check and see um you know when they went to the divisional round the second time um Cam Newton did not play well versus uh versus the Seahawks as a member of the um Carolina Panthers in 2014. Um uh, let me just read you the stat line here 2014 AFC. Yeah, Cam Newton in that game uh they the Panthers lost 31 to 17. Cam Newton was 23 for 36, threw for 246 yards through two touchdowns and two interceptions and turned over the football three times. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Cam had one of those fumbles if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. Yeah, he was, uh, and he got sacked twice, and uh, let's see, yep, Cam Newton did fumble in that game, he fumbled twice, and he lost the fumble, so he did not play well when he went up to Seattle and played, and a large part of that was the fact that there was crowd noise with uh, a packed house in Seattle, I think this is Cam Newton's first trip back to Seattle since then, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, and it'll be interesting to see how he does. But Patriots and Seahawks on Sunday Night Football, and that's just your little tidbits for Week 2 in the NFL. And without further ado, it is time for Week 2 Picks in the league where they play for pay. Rams at the Eagles. Rams had a 
Rams, of course, one last Sunday night against the Eagles division rival Cowboys. They fly east to go play the Eagles, who open up at home in week two. They blew a seven in a blew a 17-point lead to Washington last week. Let's see if Philadelphia bounces back. Uh, the Rams are favored minus one and a half. I will take the Philadelphia Eagles to win that game by a field goal, 20 to 17. Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming, of course, a uh, pretty uh, disappointing loss at the hands of the Saints last week. Uh, Carolina coming off of a uh, Carolina coming off of a very disappointing loss, of course, against the uh, against the Oakland Raiders. Raiders begin Raiders, of course, winning last week at Carolina, flying cross country, 34 to 30. Like I said, Bucks have to win this game if they you know they start 0-2 and lose to the uh, lowly Carolina Panthers, who essentially have nothing to play for this season. They're in trouble. Uh, Tampa Bay's favorite minus nine and a half. Tampa Bay will win 28-17. Denver at Pittsburgh. Denver, these two teams played each other last, not played each other, but played uh, this past Monday night. Pittsburgh had a nice, it was against the Giants. You know, got to be fair, I'm still not entirely sold on the Steelers. It was the Giants who they played. Now, let's, let's take it easy before we already put the Steelers in the AFC Championship game. But, um... But the Steelers are minus seven and a half, uh, our favorite minus seven and a half against Denver, who, courtesy to Vic Vangio in his timeouts, blew a lead and blew a game against Tennessee last Monday night. I will take Pittsburgh to win in their home opener, 24 to 10. Atlanta at Dallas. Atlanta, of course, uh, fought, fell to the hands of Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks at home last week. Dallas has to bounce back in their home opener. Their favorite minus four and a half. Should have won and they should have beat the Rams. They got to do a little bit better than score 17 points against the Rams. You know, with, with as much firepower they got on offense. And they, it looks like that they have themselves a credible coach. Dallas is favored minus four and a half. I will take Dallas to win by four, 28-24. San Francisco and the Jets. 49 is favored by a touchdown. Jets were absolutely atrocious. I mentioned that on Tuesday. They were absolutely a mess against uh, against Josh Allen and the Bills last Sunday. They opened up at home. Meanwhile, San Francisco looking to bounce back, you know, with two punches to the gut. You know, they've lost two straight, dating back, of course, to their loss in Super Bowl 54. Um, they're favored by a touchdown. I will take the 49ers to win their first game of the season. No George Kittle, too. That also plays a part as well. But the San Francisco should be just fine against the lowly Jets. They'll win 28-24, favored by a touchdown. Buffalo, speaking of the devil with them, I already mentioned their story and their win against the Jets. Josh Allen, a very good quarterback. He's a competitor. He's, you know, he, he gives you his all. He gives you his best. He's got to work on his accuracy, and he's got to work on his ball security. But uh, the Buffalo Bills, like I said, will be a very good football team. Miami, of course, coming off of a loss, tough loss against the New England Patriots on the road. Buffalo favorite minus five and a half. Buffalo will win 24 to 17. Minnesota and Indianapolis. Vikings coming off of a loss in a shootout in which Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns in that game last Sunday. While... Uh, but while the Colts are coming off of a tough loss and a shootout of their own as well, 
where they lost to Garner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Colts favored minus three. I will take the Vikings to win by three, 28-25. Detroit Green Bay is going to see where is going to be weird seeing uh, the Packers play at Lambeau without a packed uh, Lambeau field to support them in the cheer morning at fabulous football and one of the great uh, football towns in America. Uh, while Detroit can't get out of their own way, you know, vomited all over themselves against the Bears last week. Um, and, uh, of course, the Green Bay winning in a shootout where Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns against the Vikings last week. It's their home opener. Green Bay favorite minus six. Green Bay will win by six, 30-24. 30, 30 Giants against Chicago. Giants coming off of a tough Monday night loss against the Steelers last week. Chicago favorite minus five and a half. Got it done uh, against the hapless Detroit Lions, uh, rebuilding since 1957. And the Bears will win 21-17, favorite minus five and a half. Jacksonville and Tennessee. Jacksonville, of course, Gardner Minshew won a game he had last week against the Indianapolis Colts in which they won in a shootout at home. Head to Tennessee where, hey, give it to Steven Gostkowski. He stayed in there, had the mental toughness, and didn't quit on himself. And courtesy of him in a game-winning field goal and Vic Vantio not knowing how to manage a game clock. The uh, Tennessee Titans won last Monday night's game. Tennessee favored by n- minus uh, nine. Tennessee will win the game 27 to 20. Excuse me, 27 to 17. Washington and Arizona Redskins, Washington football team, whatever you want to call them, had a nice comeback victory at home against the Eagles last week. Uh, Arizona's favorite minus six and a half. Arizona is a very, very, very good football team. Uh, Kyler Murray's good. DeAndre Hopkins is good. As a kid, you didn't need me to tell you that. Uh, had a very impressive victory against the division rival, defending uh, NFC champion uh, San Francisco 49ers. Arizona will be a very good, a competitive football team. They'll win this game 28-17. Arizona favorite minus six and a half. Ravens at the Texans. Baltimore Ravens favorite minus seven points. Uh... Favored minus seven points against the uh, against the Houston uh, Texans. Texans, of course, um, coming off of a uh, coming off of a um, coming off of a loss against uh, the tennis against the Kansas City Chiefs uh, on Thursday night in the uh, season opener. Houston has no defense to speak of. Bill O'Brien is a hack. This will not end well for the ball, for the Houston Texans, in my honest opinion. The Ravens favored by a touchdown should be favored a little bit more than that, in my honest opinion. Because, and I get it there, the Cleveland Browns, they find new ways to lose. But uh, the Ra- the Baltimore Ravens, oh my goodness. There's a reason why they're going to be, you know, why I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Ravens will win big 35-17. to Kansas City is favored minus eight and a half coming off of their opening night win, like I aforementioned against the Houston Texans. Their favorite minus eight and a half. Chargers coming off of a lucky win. Let's just call it that, a lucky win. They got against my Bengals last Sunday. As and Kansas City favorite minus eight and a half will beat the LA Chargers and their home opener at SoFi Stadium, twenty-eight to seventeen. Sunday night football game of the week on NBC. 
Pats and Seahawks. Patriots coming off of a nice win against the Miami Dolphins in their home opener last week. Seattle and their home opener. No fans, of course. Be interesting to see how no fans will affect Seattle's perform- uh, Seattle's play. Russ Wilson threw for four touchdowns and their big-time victory over the Falcons last week. Uh, the f- Fal- excuse me, the Seahawks here at minus four. I have Seattle winning by a field goal, 24-21. And Monday night foot and Monday night football. Uh, Saints favorite minus six and a half against the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders will win 28-21, win by touchdown. And those are your 2020 NFL. Week two picks against the spread. So, if you enjoyed the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm a Tell It's T I S. Follow the show on Instagram at I'm a Tell It underscore I'm a Tell It I'm a Tell It like it. You. You, you go to my Instagram and you'll find it. I get it. I forgive me. I'm getting tongue-tied here. I'm your boy, Josh Shields. Enjoy week two. Y'all take care. Talk to you next week. See you.